You're listening to One Good Take, the podcast that delves into the nitty-gritty of film development and distribution and explores the often elusive chemistry that brings the film to life. In this episode, I got together with producer J. Todd Harris of Branded Pictures Entertainment. Todd cut his teeth producing for theatre while at Stanford University. He then went on to produce movies and TV. He describes his company as being in the business of acquiring and developing name brand properties from all walks of life for motion pictures. Even after more than 50 films to his name, Todd talks like a pioneer who is still excited by new possibilities in the space of branded pictures. There's plenty of energy to tap into here. I hope you find it inspiring for your own creative endeavors. Hey, Todd, how's it going? Good. Nice to hear your voice uh, here in Los Angeles. Uh, Good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so how's your week been so far? Well, it's been better than last week. As, as you know, we had a big election here and um, I, I'm relieved to have it in the rear view mirror and I'm relieved at the, uh, at the outcome and, and hoping that we can uh, get back to the business of, of being a, a, a responsible country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. And uh, how's the pandemic months been for you? You know, it, it, I've never been busier. Of course, I haven't been more than 10 miles from my house in uh, eight or nine months. You know, it's hard to say whether uh, all this busyness is going to lead to a wildly productive 2021 and 2022, or, you know, if we're sadly rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I, I, I'd yeah. like, to be an, like to be an optimist. So um, I'm hoping it's all going to work out and we're going to be incredibly busy. Yeah. And so the the busy side of things is has that been mainly reading stuff and the development side? Have you been able to execute anything? We had a a, a few deals that were uh, very close to getting done uh, before uh, everything went into freeze, and uh, so you know I'm I'm concentrating on finishing uh, those deals. We did actually sell a project to HBO uh, as of about a month ago, something we'd been working on for. Every year, we are closing a deal with Lionsgate, which is exciting, and hopefully, both of those can get made next year. We are developing, uh, you know, at, at some, you know, uh, uh, with a lot of effort, uh, uh, an animated movie with Imagine Entertainment and, and with Animal Logic. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of projects that are, you know, long gestating now coming to sort of deal fruition you know the question really is is how to get them into production fruition you know when i will have not made a movie in, in 2020 uh, i will join i will join the ranks of many who did make a movie in 2020 but um hopefully teeing a lot of stuff up for 21 and 22 yeah did you have any horrible interruptions like you were about to shoot something and say the lockdown period and then had no, to move the dates no i got i got lucky with that uh the worst really was that i had a uh a, a a play a live play that was going to debut this fall um oh. um but we saw the writing on the wall in the summer and and that got yeah. pushed i also have a play that was supposed to be workshopping now in london uh it's the adaptation of the movie death at a funeral and that has also been pushed, but nothing as horrendous as being mid-production and shutting down, or having an entire crew, you know, you know, a hundred ready to go shoot next week, and having that shut down. And you know, I have had friends who definitely had their production shut down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for a movie producer, your background is somewhat unusual in as much that you started in theatre and 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 still carry on producing theatre. Well, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, when I was in college, you know, I went to Stanford where they, there was a very modest film program. 
Um, and, uh, and there was a modest theater program as well. But one of the things you could do with, with a little bit of effort is put on a show. And so I, I figured out, I'm lucky because at 19 or 20 years old, I figured out that I liked putting on a show and, you know, what putting on a show means, you know, sometimes it was a rock concert, sometimes it was a play or a musical, sometimes it was a, a film festival, but, uh, it, you know, it was always putting on a show. And so um, after college, I got to run a theater company in Palo Alto called Theater Works that uh, just this past year, many, many, many moons later, won the Tony for Best Regional Theater for its body body of work, which was very exciting for me. And I did that for three years, and then I went back to business school and then moved to Hollywood in the mid-'80s, and that's where I've been ever since. Yeah, yeah. And you're originally from New York, aren't you? I am from New York and uh, probably planted the theater seed when I was growing up in New York. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence Broadway, and I suppose possibly even your interest in doing work in London is a little bit sort of halfway there compared yes. to most people in <laughs> who grew up in LA. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I have, I have been in LA since the mid eighties and, uh, and, and, and very happy, happily. So, uh, although I love going to New York and I love coming to London, but, but, uh, basically a Los Angelino at this point. <laughs> yeah. What, what drew you to producing? Um, you know, what, because a lot of people who produce produce because they kind of have to. Um, you, you said you quite enjoyed it. You found you had a sort of knack for it. Well, so can you say a bit more about that? Well, well, what I, I realized is that you could be, um, you know, being a producer is, is sort of like being, it, it's good for the attention deficit challenge because you get to focus on this for a few minutes or this for a few hours, then that for a few hours. And whether it's different aspects of one project or focusing on many projects with each one getting a little bit of care and feeding every day, week, month. Um, it, it allows you to, uh, you know, to, to, to use your problem solving skills yeah. uh, on a variety of different matters. And, you know, at the end of the day, producing, I think almost anything and running any business is, involves a lot of problem solving. I, I, I had toyed with the idea of being an actor a little bit in high school and college, and I quickly realized I didn't have the uh, the metal and the um, the the thick skin that was required to be an actor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. When we first spoke, um, you said you know we could talk about the financing of films that you've already made, but you were actually more interested in talking about the changing face of Hollywood and how the old school is crumbling, et cetera, and the new transmedia approach. Let's talk about that a little bit and sure. what, what you see coming up, the changes. Well, certainly I can talk about, you know, uh, happy to talk later if we get time uh, to talk about, you know, how independent films have been financed. I've you know, been doing it for about 25 years and, and usually with a lot of equity. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when I started my current company, which is called Branded Pictures Entertainment in 2014, it was based on um, the, the recognition that brands outperform uh, all other titles when it comes to film and even theater and now more and more TV. Uh, if you look at the top grossing films for the past 20 years, you'll find that seven out of 10 the top grossing films every year are based on an existing brand, a toy, a game, a remake, a movie, TV series, uh, um, any number of existing uh, uh, IP, inte yeah. intellectual properties. 
So also when we started our, our company uh, six years ago, um, we, uh, Netflix was still sending us discs in the mail. So a, a, a lot has changed uh, in the last six years. And so in our new uh, recapitalization of our company, we are embracing uh, the changing Hollywood, even as some of our uh, earlier titles are finally, a couple of years later than I hoped, finally coming to fruition. We are going to be hopefully making a dance dance revolution movie next year. We are hopefully going to be doing a, a series based on a Harlan Ellison uh, short story called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. We've been developing a modern day uh, take on the F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, Benjamin Button with black lead uh, that's been very exciting. And we're developing a, an animated movie with Imagine and Animal Logic. So a lot of these projects, which have been gestating for, you know, three, four years, are, are, are finally, uh, hopefully as the pandemic fades, going to be producible in 2021. But what we've realized is that there's so many creators out there and that technology has democratized the creative process. Yeah. And that it doesn't just have to be writing a script or a pilot, uh, which is painstaking and can be expensive, and then waiting to see if one of a dozen companies actually says, let's go make this. If you're a creator and you don't have to be in Hollywood or New York or London anymore, as you know, you can be creating a, uh, a graphic novel, uh, a, a podcast, a short video series, uh, as we see on TikTok and YouTube. Um, from any place. And what this is doing is giving creators a chance uh, to just go out and make stuff. And what that's uh, doing is, is, is opening up the floodgates to a whole new uh, level of content. And, and, and it's allowing people like me, independent producers, to uh, identify, curate, and grow brands from um, uh, much more easily and to develop an audience following much more easily. And it's interesting if you look at, at some of the most successful um, uh, properties in the last few years, they've come from unexpected places that some of which didn't exist 20 years ago. I mean, look at Angry Birds, look at the, the podcast Homecoming, look at yeah. Rick and Morty. All of these started as, as sort of um, uh, much more homespun, uh, independently produced uh, new media uh, properties. And, and so what our company's been doing for the last six years, to some extent, has been, quote unquote, renting intellectual properties. You know, when we got the Harlan Ellison short story, we paid a tidy sum to option that for 18 months and to, then again to renew the option for 18 months. And there's thousands of properties like this now collecting digital dust in studio vaults. I think the idea of, of pivoting to new media curation and development is allowing us to go out and make stuff much more quickly without waiting around, without waiting for a studio or a network or a streamer to give their blessing and to develop an audience at the same time. That's really the focus of what branded pictures entertainment is going to be our company for the next four or five years. And it's going to allow us to build, we hope, a, um, a very valuable library of assets that uh, we will mostly control 
and own as opposed to rent. <laughs> because I, yeah. I've had the painful experience of optioning a, a, a property for you know, 18, 24, 36 months, spending yeah. a lot of time and money developing it, and then losing the rights. It's painful yeah. and expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So how do you go about looking for this kind of new media that, that has either a, the beginnings of a following or the potential for a, a big following? Well, it, it, it is, uh, for the first thing you do if you're uh, me is you, you hire two uh, people, you know, uh, half or two thirds your age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good start, yeah. Okay, TikTok audience, yeah. Exactly, so. 16 year olds. <laughs> so my, 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 my uh, you know, co-founder and vice president of Branded Pictures Entertainment is a gentleman named Mark Markham, who grew up in the traditional movie loving world and and he is a a, a, a voracious consumer uh, of content he is that guy that will see two to three new movies every weekend in a movie theater when one can and yeah. uh and he also is uh to some extent a fanboy so he he does know the up and coming brands that are coming out of comics and uh, uh other media and you know he you know unlike me he he knows all the Avenger, all the Marvel material, all the DC material, um, yeah. and then my my and and, and he grew up, um, you know, working uh, after going to USC film school. He went worked for John Peters, uh, who uh, has you know had a very interesting relationship with uh, Peter Goober for many years and produced a lot of films. And then he worked for John Davis, and that's really where we intersect. John Davis. Uh, being the, the producer of movies like Garfield and iRobot and yeah. um, Alien versus Predator and 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 Mark really is uh, my colleague is the one who who actually got the rights for Garfield and developed the story for Garfield and that was a brand and then my younger uh, associate my director of development is named Tom Petnelli and he after graduating from Emerson worked at Universal and at the Sci Fi Network and he's a very proud geek. Uh, he's a, he's the first in line at Comic Con when you can go every yeah. year, and 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 so the, this is one of the first things you do, and then um, I, I think what you try to do is partner um, with uh, uh, emerging artists. So they they to be honest, they find a lot of the new newer artists. I also am lucky; I have a twenty and twenty two year old sons, and um, you know they they actually turn me on to a lot of uh newer emerging uh new media artists as well yeah yeah so that that i mean look there's no i mean there's no substitute for just constantly scouring i also have a a robust contingent of interns who are all college or graduate students um a college age or graduate students and one of their mandates every semester is to look for emerging artists and and emerging brands and that involves not just looking here in the U.S. at TikTok and YouTube, which of course we do, but looking abroad for new shows and new creators and new um, voices that are coming from unexpected places. I mean, yes, the process could be exhausting, and I'm actually finding myself having to sort of pivot to being more of a traditional CEO and not just, you know, constantly combing, combing the internet for talent. Myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... But the idea truly is uh, to find an interesting piece of IP in whatever format it comes in, and then to try and develop it in a new media sense. 
And, and you know, the simplest idea would be to develop a podcast for truly a few thousand dollars. You can yeah. probably uh, develop uh, and 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 uh, market a, a, a podcast. Uh, and so, you know, that that would be a way. We we also look at doing uh, short videos. So for relatively inexpensively, whether it's animated or live action, you can develop a series of short videos. And so our idea would be to see if we can't establish an audience for intellectual property, for a new brand, so that when we go to a network or a streamer or a film uh, studio, we can have proof of concept and say, look, it's already yeah. got 10,000 10, followers on this podcast, or it's already got all this fan art already happening. And to, to basically illuminate the notion that this could be a viable franchise over various um, uh, platforms. You know, we, I, I made a movie this last summer called Stage Mother. I, I made it a couple of years ago, actually, but it came out this summer. And, 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 and the second I read that script a few years ago, I realized that Stage Mother actually had the DNA of a Broadway musical. Whether that's La Cage aux Faux or Birdcage or um, uh, yeah, Kiki much, Boots, yeah. it yeah. really had the, the DNA of, of, of a musical. It's about a Texas church lady whose drag queen son living in San Francisco dies and she goes there for the funeral with, without her intolerant husband and learns that she has indeed inherited a drag club. And then she decides to stay in San Francisco and run it. Well, if you ever wanted to find two um, you know, oil and water, or <laughs> things, <laughs> yeah, yeah, things that don't mix. a very original logline that one, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's it's a it's a perfect it's a perfect idea for a Broadway musical, and for you know it really suggests a soundtrack. So w w what is what is the transmedia notion? First of all, you know um, uh, you've got two perfect Broadway contingencies: women of a certain age and the LGBTQ audience. Those are very big drivers for a Broadway show. But beyond a Broadway show, you know, why not do a podcast uh, of drag queens, you yeah. know, and, 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 and their mothers? I mean, why yeah. not do that? Secondly, it could certainly launch a fashion trend uh, of, of some sorts. Um, I'm not saying kinky boots. Made, everybody started wearing kinky boots around New York, but but I mean, it, it, it did launch a, a bit of a, a a bit of a movement, and and so I feel like this could be a podcast. There could be fan art. There could be a Broadway musical. It certainly also lends itself to a TV series, and there's no reason there couldn't even be uh, a sequels or spinoffs to that sort of thing. Yeah. So we are definitely looking at IP that can play across multiple uh, platforms. Yeah, I can see why your company's called Branded Pictures now. <laughs> right, right. I mean, people yeah, yeah. people often say, "Are you talking about Nestle's or 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 or, yeah. or Heineken?" And no, I, I like Nestle's, and I yeah. like to have. It's the Heineken. same thinking, isn't right. it? It's it's just right. uh, it's finding an IP and then finding different places it can live. You know, right, and find yeah. and, and cultivating an audience yeah. that will follow that IP and grow with that IP to the next platform. Yeah, That's the idea. yeah, yeah. So, so let's say you found some new new uh, thing going on on online, whether that's storytelling, podcasting, uh, short films made by a group in Israel or who, wherever you're looking. 
um, and you you want to partner up with those people. What's your starting point there? Where do you move from? Well, I I think one of the things that we offer, um, and one of the aspects of producing so many independent films, I'd like to think that we can bring a, um, a, a an entrepreneurial and Hollywood savvy uh, uh, component to people who are creating, um, for lack of a more friendly term in the hinterland, you know, people who are creating way outside of Hollywood and don't necessarily have the uh, relationships or potentially even the skill set that we have in creating uh, um, entertainment. So, you know, to the animator who's created a cool sort of character who's living in Canada, we can bring a little bit of uh, money to it to sort of create a, a, a to, to create a narrative. What's interesting yeah. is a lot of people are creating interesting properties that don't have a proper um, or, or a, a recognizable narrative format. So we can bring that into the half hour series idea or the half hour podcast idea. And, and then hopefully we can package that idea with Hollywood talent, whether that's a writer or a director or an actor. So I'd like to think that one of the things, one of the value adds we have uh, that I have after, you know, 30 plus years in Hollywood is that I can navigate the agency and management uh, uh, ecosystem and can help attach an actor of some note to a property. It's really a lot of what I spend my days doing is talking to people at WME and CAA and ICM and UTA and Anonymous and all the big management companies about, hey, I've got a very interesting idea. Do you think that um, your actor would be interested in doing it? And and that's really, there's so many good ideas out there that, that don't get developed because they don't have uh, the arsenal behind them or the team yeah, behind sure. them. Yeah, and yeah. and I also think that we're good at recognizing what does have the legs to become a series. Is it a limited series? Could it be a series that runs for four or five years? Is it a series of movies? You know, it, what is the, the appropriate first step? And, and also embracing the new technology. My VP came up with an idea for... Um, a series that we can pitch to writers because you need a good writer first, but our pitch actually to a writer and eventually to a buyer is taking place on an Instagram page. So our whole pitch is, is 30 Instagram posts and, and, and our, our idea is very Instagram oriented. And yeah. so, uh, and it's, it's, it's also taking disparate elements that you might not expect to see on Instagram and pitching it on an Instagram page. So okay, well, what is it you're pitching to the writer? We, well, we, we have an idea that I'd rather not go into too much no, sure. detail okay. with yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah. But it, it it's about a certain character who has unexpectedly become an Instagram uh, star. And so mm. what we've done is we've created a series of Instagram posts that that basically suggest her story. 
And then we go to a writer because we don't want to, we want to go to a writer with, with a, a firm idea, but not ironclad because you want the writer to have a sandbox in which it's fun to play around in and let yeah. them create. You know, when we went to uh, a writer, a dear friend of mine, who uh, was one of the co-creators of Heather's The Musical, which uh, was a, a, a musical I spent many years uh, developing and getting to finally to off-Broadway. And as you may or may not know, it played in London for the last couple of years. Um, I went to a friend of mine named Kevin Murphy, who uh, wrote the book and lyrics uh, to Heather's and um, came to him. I knew he was a science fiction geek, if you will, with this mm -hmm. Harlan Ellison short story called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. And it's a very hard short story, only 13 pages long. And um, he picked a partner that we'd worked with before. And we basically came up with a, a framework, but then he and his partner completely filled in the framework and completely took ownership of the IP. And, and really, if you look at the original short story and then see their pitch to which we brought a major stars production company who has a deal at a major cables company, and is a deal that we're finally now closing after I've had the IP for two and a half years. Um, it's really bringing them a world in which to play and not being so prescriptive that they feel they've been put in a straitjacket. This is how it has to be. So on the one hand, you don't want to just go to them and say, here's a short story. What do you think? You want to go to them and say, here's a short story. And this is how we see it fitting into uh, a TV series and then let them create it. When we had the idea of doing Benjamin Button, which is now a public domain title from F. Scott Fitzgerald, a short story 96 or seven years old, yeah. we brought it to a young African-American writer because we felt like he would be the appropriate person to create a series with an African-American Benjamin Button set today. And it's really just like F. Scott Fitzgerald's story, it really is a study of the dark side of the American dream. Yeah. But, but it's set today with an African-American lead, which gives it a whole different hue, so to speak. And, yeah. and, and, and we've brought it to a major African-American director. And it's very, been very interesting to watch it develop from my VP, Mark Markham's original idea to our writer, Leland Anderson's full-blown take to now our director, who will reveal hopefully in the next few months, um, his approach to it. He had some very good notes on it. And, and this, just, just this week, we're about to have our next conversation with the director, where the idea has really taken on a, a, a much more uh, profound uh, depth, uh, you know, like Watchmen has, like, uh, uh, what's the, the new one? Uh, um, oh, I just jumped out of my head. Something country, uh, Ray Bradbury. Uh, I just don't, you know. But anyway, it's 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 a it's a very very profound approach to this material, and I'm very very excited about it. So that's generally what we do. We try to bring a little bit of money, a little bit of working capital. Um, we'll have to make clever new deals in this new frontier. We'll have to uh, protect and empower the original creator and, and involve them to the extent that they want to be involved and can be helpful, but probably marry it to some traditional Hollywood uh, storytelling talent 
or some emerging talent. Because just because you created an idea doesn't mean you're the person to necessarily script 30-minute podcasts or 30-minute episodes. And yeah. it's really trying to marry creative types. Uh, that's really what a producer does, is how does a producer identify a story and then cultivate that story and then bring that story maybe to a screenwriter of great talent or a TV writer of great talent and then find a director to, to give everybody the confidence in this, in this project and, and then get the actor and then hopefully go out with a relatively bulletproof um, uh, a property. You know, the old days when you could just walk in and pitch a good idea to a studio executive and have them say, yeah, we'll spend a half a million dollars developing that. Boy, those days are really gone. And that's what, what we're trying to recognize is that Hollywood is, you know, I don't want to say Hollywood is burning down, but it it is evolving in a hurry. And I think that that this idea of creating, uh, working with new creatives from new media, and then developing an audience in in a less expensive, easy to access format, is definitely the wave of the future. And I think the independent film skills that we bring to that the the fundraising, the packaging, the the narrative skills. Uh, and, and the marketing skills, to be honest, because the first thing we do with any property we find is who is going to view, listen, participate in this project's commercial realization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the theory of branded pictures entertainment was always that it's the portfolio theory that my venture capital friends from business school admire and follow. And it makes perfect sense. Yeah. You develop 50 properties and, and you don't expect 50 projects to come out of it, but you expect, you know, to go into baseball terminology, if you will, you expect, uh, even if you strike out 25 or 30 times, you still expect to get on base 10, 10 times and you expect to hit a few home runs. And, yeah. and, and that's really, um, the idea that that you know, I, I like to reference my my friend Lorenzo de Bonaventura, the producer who came to everybody at Paramount many many years ago with the idea of doing Transformers as a movie, and I believe that certain people laughed at him when he came up with that idea. Yeah, and now that they've made about seven sequels and two spinoffs and. Uh, I think Lorenzo's having the last laugh. Yeah, so, yeah. so <laughs> it, sure. it, it's really. Uh, you know, that, that approach. Um, I, I can't help myself. I love theater. Uh, I, I am working on Soul Train as a Broadway show. The Buena Vista Social Club is a Broadway show, as I mentioned, I think to you earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, Death at a Funeral is a West End straight show, not as a musical. And also I'm working on the Maya Angelou uh, life story and work as a, um, a, a, as a show for Broadway. And and uh, I, I, I also still have certain independent films that I can't seem to, to, to quit because those are the films, the Alexander Payne films, the Coen Brothers films, the, the uh, Darren Aronofsky films that I, I find meaningful and, and, and relevant. And, and, and um, you know, yes, I, I'm trying to develop uh, some franchises uh, but I, and, and I'm also just working with public figures. You know, we're developing a movie and hopefully making next year a movie about Lily Ledbetter, the Fair Pay Act pioneer from the U.S., 
who was a, a, a Goodyear tire worker in Alabama in the, in the 70s and 80s and 90s and was completely abused and harassed and, and mistreated by her fellow employees and then forced to retire only to find that she'd been making half of what men were making, took them to court, took them to court, lost, took it to the Supreme Court, lost. And then Ruth Bader Ginsburg said from the bench on her dissent, you have to take this to Congress. And she did. And it's the first law that Obama signed into passage when he became president. And so it, I think Lily Ledbetter is a brand. It's not your typical brand. It's not Transformers, but um, <laughs> yeah. but it's a relevant. It's a relevant. It's a relevant icon, and and yeah. I think it, it can foment a movement. And I'm very excited to be telling that movie. Uh, yeah. hopefully next year. Yeah, sounds a great, a very timely one as well. Yes, yeah. we think so. Very. We, we yeah, certainly yeah. think so. But um, um yes, I- I- independent films. You know, I I I'm still look. I we released a film over the summer called Followed, which was a you know, a, a little scary sort of uh, uh, found footage type of movie, Blair Witchy type of thing, paranormal type of thing, made for under $300,000. And by golly, it went out and played at the drive-ins this summer and made a half a million dollars. And now we're developing a, a TV series based on it. And so, I mean, just because it's independent doesn't mean it can't be a brand. <laughs> Would you say you're a very hands-on producer or do you like delegating a lot? Well, somewhere I, in between? I mean, look, there are movies that I've been on where my primary function was helping find some money. And those are movies where I was an executive producer or a co-producer or, 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 or my primary function has been, you know, to be the eminence grease and offer, you know, seasoned advice on like, don't go with this company. Don't go with that actor. You better change this in the script. You know, you better find, you know, you better find x y or z so there there are there are films you know i would say maybe half of my films i have taken um a very hands-on approach developed it executed it seen it through every element of of producing and there's probably half of my films where i have found uh, uh, myself in a strategic role whether that's money advice uh, uh or or making certain calls you know Sometimes it's hard for, for new filmmakers to get that person on the phone. And I'd like to think that sometimes I can deploy my hard-earned political capital in getting a worthy project noticed so, um, or, or getting it treated right. You know, some, you know, by the way, so many of my films have investors, and, and, and not all of them have made money. But part of your job as a producer is to fight to get that money back for your investors. And is to structure a film, in, you know, intelligently so that your investors get their money back. I mean, I've spent a lot, a lot of my time as a producer is is raising money, and I know that you know back in the day, traditional producers. I I know some very successful producers who never really raised a dime. They developed it; they're very good at development, and the studio said yes or no, and then they got to you know creatively enjoy the process. But I, I've been on movies where I was raising money during production. It's yeah. stressful. It's I bet. really it's really <laughs> stressful when my, yeah, my I'm nightmare. sitting in the production office and they're shooting on the set, you know, a mile away, and and the line producer comes in and says we can't make payroll unless another hundred thousand dollars materializes yeah. in two days. 
That's yeah. stressful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Adrenaline shoots up. It's the roof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, do you ever look at these days spec scripts? I mean, you know, coming either through agents or outside oh, or recommended oh, through all, all the time, all the time. Yeah. And, and to my staff's consternation, maybe too much. Um, okay. uh, but but I, I will say, and I'm not sure if I referenced it at the beginning of this call, but the reality is, is that everyone has attention deficit disorder and, and it, it's been exacerbated by, you know, whether it's the pandemic or the U.S. president or world affairs or whatever. Yeah, so many distractions, Every, right? Yeah. You know, if you, it, it's, it, you know, look, you've been on the receiving end of an email that you open up and it's like, oh my God, it's a small book. I can't read this freaking email yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've, I've learned that's the way, that's the way creators have to think when they tr are trying to build a coalition or a team yeah. um, behind a project. And, and I did want to say before that, you know, producing is really a, 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 a continuous exercise in credibility uh, building. It, everyone has to believe that they're working on something credible to get to the next stop. So when somebody says, will you read my spec script? I want to know what it's about. And, 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 and I, I want to know, um, you know, and, and I want you to tell me in a sentence because yeah. I, I, I can often tell most people can tell in a sentence like is this worth pursuing is the, you know and for me the, the hurdle is could this be a franchise could this live on multiple platforms you know i i love certain movies but 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 they you know and some great movies wouldn't have been made if that was the litmus test and that is a shame but you know it, 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 if it doesn't sound commercial to me then it either has to be about something so moving or important to me to dig into it, um, you know, that, 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 I, I, that really is the first test. How can you convince me in a sentence? What is the elevator pitch? And then beyond that, you know, what is the paragraph and what does the one pager look like? I always tell creators to, to start with, a, with, with the concept and, and think about who the audience is and then build it, you know, if, if they're encouraged to build it from there into a one pager. And then what are we talking about? Is it a podcast? Is it a series? Is it a limited series? Is it a movie? And I, I hate to say this, but, you know, it's tough. If, if it's just a one-off as a movie, God, I love making them. But, but boy, it's so much work to make, make one movie. If you could make a movie that could become a franchise or you could make a series that could become eight episodes or 30 episodes, the payoff is much greater. You know? In the last few years which movies that you've made have really sort of struck a chord with you on an emotional level because you mentioned that you know what, what is sort of oh that's something different that's that's really kind of got me because it's an issue i i deeply care about not 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 just it's a great idea and i i'm excited but it's somehow got me in the gut or the heart you know well i mean i i, I was very happy to be an executive producer on the kids are all right you know, it, it, it's an important movie, and 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 it was. An, I think it's one of the, you know, seminal um, in in the pantheon of important LGBTQ movies. I think the kids are all right. Really stands out. And what I loved about that movie is 
10, 15 minutes into that movie, you're not thinking about, look, oh, it's two women who are in love with each other. You're thinking about, oh my God, it's these, it's these two parents who've got this real dilemma because they have found out who their birth father is and what are we going to do about it? And, and, and it just gets more complicated from there. So I was really happy to be part of uh, uh, the trial of the Chicago 7 because, A, I, I, I think Aaron Sorkin is one of the great storytellers of the 21st century and um, in the end of the 20th century. And I, I, um, I'm a political science wonk. I like, I like uh, I, I, that, that, that's an era that was very important to me. The end of Vietnam, the end of the Cold War, you know, the 60s. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I just thought it was really an important period of time. And uh, so I, 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 I was able to be an executive producer on that. And that was an important movie for me. It, you know, I, I, I really loved watching the reaction to that movie. You know, I was a full producer on Bottle Shock. I found the script. I helped raise the money. I helped cast it. I helped, you know, oversaw the distribution and production of it. And, and that's a movie that, you know, I don't know how much of an emotional chord, but it's a very fun, satisfying piece of Americana that people really like. And there were wonderful actors in it. As you know, um, Alan Rickman was in it and Dennis Farina, both of whom have passed away. Um, Chris Pine really did that movie right before he became a big star. Freddie Rodriguez uh, was in it. Uh, Rachel Taylor was in it. Bill Pullman was wonderful. Um, really <clears throat> enjoyed working on that movie. So I, 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 I would... You know, I don't know how many more movies I'm going to make. Hopefully, twenty or thirty. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but I, I and I want to build some franchises. I'd like to make some investors some money, and I'd like to make myself some money. And I'd like to maybe in ten years, you know, take it a little bit easier and go teach film somewhere and become a gentleman producer. But uh, you know, of the movies I'm going to make over the next ten years, I, I really hope a few will. You know, look, I, I would love awards. Awards are exciting. You know, I've, I've had a few movies nominated, and I think, you know, Chicago 7 will be in the discussion for awards this year. Yeah. But I, I, I'd like to make some movies that people go, wow, that that really moved me. You know, what's interesting, in the last few weeks, uh, I've been following uh, The Queen's Gambit on, uh, on, on, on Netflix, and, and I did a little post about it a week ago and and there was a flood of response people are loving that and i don't know if it's the emotional connection so much of just how damn good it is and how good the acting is and the directing is and the script is and 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 the design of it is and netflix spared no expense and and then i i saw a post from david kirkpatrick who used to run paramount back in the 90s and he he said they optioned that book 30 years ago, 32 oh, years wow. ago. And, and, and the, the screenwriter, the writer who created the series has been on that movie or that series for 32 years. It's, it's Alan Scott, Jeez. I think it's, is, is his name. And, and he's, he's ailing now, but he's alive. Oh and, 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 and his son responded to David Kirkpatrick's um, post on Facebook saying, my dad is is not well. Um, he's not really getting to enjoy the. Uh, oh, isn't you know, that cruel? <laughs> the, the fruit yeah, of his just, labor, but, yeah. but, but 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 he is alive, 
And, yeah. and, and it's just, just you know, and I, and I don't really want to work on things for 32 years. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's just a testament to, to, to a story well told. And, 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 you know, yeah. I, 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 um, I, I, I look at things through a different lens now. You know, a friend of mine was a lawyer on a very important case. And, you know, he's a dear friend of mine, one of the few true friends I can say I've made in the last 10 years. And he was a lawyer on a really important, groundbreaking case um, for black U.S. farmers um, who were actively discriminated against by the USDA, the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. And, and, and he won a class action suit on their behalf. And his story is so interesting. And he is so interesting. And, 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 and he actually went out and wrote, co-wrote a, an entire limited series based on it. And now I'm trying to figure out, it's good. And I'm trying to figure out how do we bring this to market? How do we, what's the first step? You know, do we do a podcast with him because he is so interesting, but he's white and it's a story about the black American farmer. And you know what? We're living in 2021 practically. And, you know, black lives do matter and people are woke. And, you know, the, the day of the white savior, you need to be really thinking about that now. And, and how, how does this story yeah, it's reach. a tricky one, isn't it? It really yes. is a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. How does it reach how does it reach its full audience and not feel like, oh, the white guy saving the black guy again? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I've got I've got a very similar problem with uh, a screenplay I've adapted with the writer of a, a book called Operation Jihadi Bride. And we've been pitching it around uh, town when London. And some of the objections have been, well, it's a it's a white guy who goes in and saves jihadi brides. Now, I don't know if that's the right climate for this kind of story because he's male and he's white. You know, so but if you could give us the angle from the female point of view and yet the book is told from the guy's point of view, it's his story and that was what the original content of the story is about. It's about him and three Kurdish men who go in behind enemy lines in ISIS and Mosul, places like that, and extract these jihadi brides who are European. But you're, you're exactly right. You know, it's like, it's very tricky when you, your story might be really powerful, but people will go, politically, I'm not sure if I, I want to deal with that or if we've got the right time. And I imagine that you, you're experiencing something very similar. Well, I mean, white well, lawyer. I mean <laughs> I, I'm, ju I'm just, I'm ju I mean, you know, he's been a friend for many years, but several years now, but, but I, I just read it over the weekend. I read like, you know, 250 pages of miniseries over the weekend and, and, yeah. and, and, and gave it a tremendous amount of thought. And, but you know what, what we're talking about, this is producing, figuring this out is producing that, 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 you know, that, you know, when, that's why, you know, when you go to the Wikipedia Wikipedia page for for producing, I, I'm not sure there even is one. But if it, if there were one, it would be long because there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as it's you know, going back to the word branded, it's you know, I I come from advertising background, and and you've got to have to know how to pitch your idea in a way that gets the audience, wins over the client, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in a way that feels almost wholesome as it were you know sort of 
that there's a goodness to it and it and it's very current and now um and that's that's as you say it's tricky isn't it especially when there are certain things moving against that even though right. you've got a really great story sure and 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 as we said before sometimes you have 30 seconds to yeah. get somebody's interest sometimes the 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 subject line of your email is the make or break as to whether or not somebody takes it seriously yeah it's like you know, did you say white <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Close the door, you know. Well, yeah. no, but I mean, it's just you know. I, I mean, I, 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 for better or for worse, fell in love with a beautiful, beautiful script. Um, uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, maybe it was almost two years ago now. It's how long it takes? And it, it's a, it's an adaptation of a book called Bear Season, a, a not very well known book, but a beautiful story that takes place in post-World War II Detroit. And it's about, you know, a, a Polish mom and her 12 or 13-year-old son who've moved to the United States as immigrants. And um, with her, she's a widow and her husband died in the war and they've moved to the United States with her brother-in-law, who is a dissolute drunk. And, and like, uh, do you want to buy it now? <laughs> yeah. No, so, but but it's so beautifully written. I'm not sure you could pitch my life as a dog or cinema paradiso in a concise paragraph. Yeah. That, 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 that you know, I just pitched that story to you, and you're like, "What?" And, and it's just <laughs> a, such a beautiful coming of age story. And 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 the reason it gets its title from a true to life, a real bear that helped the troops during World War II move ammunition around and used to do tricks like drink a beer and eat a lit cigarette. And it's really a real bear named Wojciech who lived in a zoo in Edinburgh after the after the uh, war. And it's really about a coming of age for this twelve or thirteen year old boy, and 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 truly a healing process for his uncle who has been guilt-ridden and distraught ever since his brother died in the war. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's not a great pitch, but it's a great movie. And so the first thing we did is we attached a, a countryman of yours named Simon Abood to be the director. And he's not a household name, but he directed a lovely movie called This Beautiful Fantastic, starring uh, Jessica Brown Findlay, Tom Wilkinson, and uh, yeah. Andrew Scott, and uh, Jeremy Irvine beautiful beautiful movie and um then we hired we hired uh, alice sirby a casting director from london well the first thing we did is we found a hundred thousand dollars to develop it with which when i say develop the script was already done but the hundred thousand dollars let us do a budget hire a casting director yeah, have yeah. A, you know option op do a formal option on the property and and then we got alice sirby and we got it to luke evans and Luke Evans loves the part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and then I had to talk to his whole team because Luke Evans hasn't really done a part like this. And he's a wonderful, wonderful actor. His reel is amazing. You don't realize all the great things he's been in. Yeah. And, but, 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 but he's not at this point as famous as James McAvoy or Tom Hardy, right? Or, yeah. or, 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 um, Benedict Cumberbatch or Tom Hiddleston. So he doesn't have quite, their track record yet and so then you know we went i went back to a young actor i had approached to a couple of years ago named jacob tromblay and uh jacob was the star of room little boy when he did room and then okay. he, then a, yeah. a year older he did wonder 
And finally, Simon has a call coming up with him this week. And so, and now we need to find an actress to play the mom. And so it's it's this incredible, painstaking process of putting it together. And by the way, it's not a two to three million dollar. It's a period movie where that travels all around the Midwest and that wants to be shot probably on in Ontario, Canada. Yeah. This is this is this is hard and to get a foreign yeah. sales company and to find the equity and to you know to, to get a tax break someplace god i hope this whole project comes together now that i've pitched it in such great detail <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, it sounds really good yeah yeah well and it was yeah. written by a, a writer in the u.s named donald martin who's a who's really truly a, a gifted writer and, and it's based on the book by bernie Haffelin. and okay. it's uh it's it's I mean, anyway look I just went and pitched you an entire unbranded and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and hard to make non-franchisable movie that I just happened to fall in love with. And so, yes, that still happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important. It does. I think, you know, we need, it sort of feeds the soul as it were. Yeah. Projects like that. Well, I don't know if I've worn out my welcome, but I, I'm certainly, you know, enjoying talking to you and, and, and happy if you have any any, any, if you, if, if you have any final thoughts or questions for me, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to try and toss out a, a few, what, what remaining pearls of wisdom I have left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was just going to wrap it up, um, very briefly with, um, a question about your role on the Napa Valley Film Festival. You're on the board, aren't you? And I, I am, I am on the board, you know, yeah. the, uh, I, I uh, first of all, uh, film festivals are so much fun. You know they used to be, um, and they will be again. By golly, and yeah. and and Napa is. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's it's really. I know it's famous for its uh, Pinot Noir, isn't it? <laughs> Sideways. It's famous for all of its wine. <laughs> yeah, all of its wine, and it's beautiful. And 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 there, it it it's just a such a a great American. That's why Bottle Shock was so fun because the American wines rose up and and defeated the french wines in a blind taste test it was a very patriotic moment um but it's a beautiful beautiful sonoma napa it's a beautiful place and and um the, you know the story is is that uh two of my producing partners on bottle shock mark and brenda lormer uh, uh founded the napa valley film festival about 10 years ago and uh they made a beautiful festival and um uh, and they asked me to be one of the original board members so i've been on the board since it was founded and um it's not a competitive film festival like you know it's not a market film festival like berlin or sundance um it really aspires me to more to be a a a, a, a telluride um and it also because it doesn't have to the, the pressure of finding uh, you know, a, of a film being bought by a studio there, it gets to curate really good films that, that, that played in Toronto and Sundance and Cannes and a few other you know, South by Southwest, other good film festivals, because most of the people who go to the, the, the Napa Valley Film Festival, well, some come from far and wide, many come from California and many come from the Bay Area, and they're not going to have seen those movies. They won't have been in Telluride. They won't have been in Sundance. Yeah. And so it's it's a chance for them to see some of the best independent films ever. Um, we've just hired a new um, uh, executive director named Michael Polinski, who's a, a, a Napa uh, denizen and runs a beautiful uh, winery there called Blackbird. And... Um, we have a very hardworking board, and it's been a very challenging few years 
you know, not just, um, uh, uh, you know, not just the pandemic, but fires that Napa oh, has yeah. endured. We have had a big change of management in the last few years. It has, you know, it has been financially challenging, but I think it's really worth it because it's, it's, it's a great experience. All the filmmakers who come to the Napa Valley Film Festival exclaim it as one of their, their most, their, their most favorite film festivals from the hospitality. Literally, it, very few film festivals, I would almost say none, can compete with the beautiful restaurants, the beautiful vineyards, the beautiful location, and the really fun screening venues. Also, because it's Napa, there's tons of wine at every screening. There, you know, there's a, <laughs> I'm there's sold a big, already. <laughs> right. There's a big culinary aspect to it. Some of the top chefs from the world and from the region come there. And it's just, it's just really five days of, of food film and wine and, and a glorious time. And I am so excited to bring that back. I think we're going to incorporate a little bit more of a, a, a streaming and television aspect to it as we go forward. And uh, I'm so proud of, of the years I've spent on that and the people who work tirelessly with me on that are our new board president, Patrick Davila, and our vice chair of the board, Rick Garber, and, and Rob uh, Jennings, who was our board chair for many years. It's a great board and, and, uh, and a lot of people who worked on the festival for many years to make it what it was. So, you know, it, it, it turned out to be a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. I thought I was just going to get to go drink wine and, 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 look, <laughs> yeah. and be fabulous, but it's, it's work being on a board. Yeah. When does it normally take place? It's it's in a beautiful time of year. It's uh, like this. It's it's right after the American film market. It's the second weekend in November. Not okay. this year, not this year, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it it so it it it's sort of the last stop on the awards train in a typical year. Um, yeah. So so uh, a, a lot of uh, Academy members live in San Francisco area, and we're trying to see if we can't make a relationship with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association so the Globes could be more involved. Um, and, and we've just had, we've had the Kevin Costner, John Travolta, Viggo Mortensen. You know, we've had, we, we have a very nice Ignite. celebrity quotient. Yeah, because it's, you know what, it, it's a it's a 45-minute flight from L.A. by, yeah. you know, by whether it's private jet or commercial, and then a half an hour drive or 45-minute drive to Napa. It's, it's yeah, beautiful. pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. Well, on that note, um, we should wrap it up. It's been great. Thanks well, very much for talking to me. It's been my pleasure, Nick, and, and uh, I'm happy to do a follow-up anytime. And, and if you need anything else from me, let me know. But uh, let's make movies, shall we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Let's Thanks so there. much. All right. Thanks so much, Todd. Bye-bye. I hope you found this episode as inspiring as I did. I'm Nicholas Penrake, and I was talking with producer J. Todd Harris. Thanks for listening.